Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. On a series of Heart for the House, as you know, and we are discussing what we are about here at City Life. And we are developing a heart for God's house, for the church, because it's important to God, therefore it should be important to us as believers. And here's the thing about churches, okay? We're going to talk about churches, plural. There are a lot of great churches out there, a lot of them, a lot of amazing churches out there. And there are a lot of different flavors of churches, You know what I mean? I've been to churches where there's a 90-year-old woman leading worship from her piano and they're using the old school projector for the lyrics on the wall, right? But they're praising Jesus. Amen. It's powerful. I've been to to churches where, where the preacher got so excited, he got up on a chair and was preaching from a chair, really excited. The organ player started just like doing his organ thing, and then the whole church, I'm not even lying, the whole church got up and started running around the room. They're running around the room running around. I'm not kidding. I saw it with my own eyes. Okay. It was amazing. They love the Lord. They love the Lord. They're praising him. I've been to churches where they're waving flags. Oh, they're waving their flag so hard for the Lord. Beautiful. They love the Lord. I've seen people painting pictures on the stage during worship. They love the Lord. There are different flavors of churches. Can you say flavors? Flavor, flavor. So to me, As long as Jesus is the main thing, if we're about the main thing, if the main thing is Jesus, you know, God himself came in the flesh through the virgin birth, lived the life we were meant to live, died the death that we deserved, rose again on the third day. If it's about that, we're going to, we do church different, okay? There's different worship styles. There's different preaching styles. There's different, the way the segments of the service goes, it's going to be different. And that's okay if the main thing is the main thing. You with me? And so we're talking about the distinctives or the flavor of city life, okay? So we have a core purpose statement, and you're going to hear it a lot because this is what our core purpose is, that be with Jesus. If you know it, say it with me. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus and carry on the mission of Jesus. So that's the main thing we're saying. Be with him. Like have a relationship with Jesus. Read your Bible. Talk to the Lord. Be with him. And while you're doing that, it should change you. You should actually be giving up the old ways of life because he's given you a new way. So you should become more like Jesus. And then you're not just to keep it all inside and be nice and cozy, but you're to go out and carry on his mission and tell others about the good news of Jesus. So, core purpose statement. But our distinctives, our flavor, the things we think, you know, this is what makes us city life. We choose God's story as the true narrative of our lives. Our doing for God comes out of our being with God. We're a passionate house full of laughter and fun. We're contributors, not consumers. We choose we over me. We honor layers of generational wisdom and strength. We boldly embrace faith for signs, wonders, and miracles. And we seek to bring God's flourishing to every sphere of society. So that's our flavor, okay? So these are things that we're like, we think these are important, and we want these to kind of be standout things for our house. And we're all about Jesus, right? But this is our flavor. 
And I wanted to focus on the distinctive of we're a passionate house full of laughter and fun. And I want to focus on this one because this is a big reason why I kept coming back to church when I was a teenager. This was the main reason I came back to church. And because my goal in life, you know, we all have those different things that motivates us. It gets us out of bed in the morning. Mine is to have fun. I'm like, oh, man, what kind of fun can we have today? I want to laugh. I want to play. I want to have adventure. Right? That's fun. Yeah. Some of you are more mature than me, but that is my goal. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or a spiritual home or a religious home. It was not talked about in my home at all. You know, um, I, didn't, I don't think God was mentioned in my home. So I don't know at what point, I don't know at what point I got this idea in my head because my parents never said this, but I thought Christianity was lame. I thought all the fun was zapped out of life as soon as you become a Christian. So I don't know who I met that made me feel that way. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I mean, the media or, or, you know, movies that you watch or teenagers in your school probably helped with that formation of that idea, but it never appealed to me. You know, the fun that appealed to me as a teenager, I'm the classic, I'm the classic teen, rebellion, partying, you know, indulging in all of the worldly things, all of my desires. I said, give it to me, world. I did, yeah. I liked it a little bit, kind of. Well, then there was regret. But, you know, <laughs> honestly, at a certain point, I remember sitting in my high school cafeteria, and I was sitting with these people that were my friends I partied with, and we were talking, like, we were sitting there talking, and I was like, is this it? I was like, this is so lame. I'm with the cool people, like, the people who I think are cool, and we're, you know, I'm doing what I think is fun. And I was just sitting in, like, emptiness and regret exhaustion, messiness. I was like, I don't know if I like this. And so at this time also, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but I was caught in a minor crime, minor, okay? I was caught in a minor crime by my parents, and so I was grounded. I was grounded from friends, um, certain friends, except for one. One friend I was allowed to hang out with was this good little Christian girl, <laughs> right? And and so, of course, when she invited me to church, I was desperate. I, at this point, I was like, I'm so desperate for something in my life. So I went, begrudgingly, and, and church was so different than what I expected. It was fun. People were laughing. It was not out of drunkenness or out of inappropriate jokes. It was like good, pure, true fun. And I was like, dang, this is cool. I was like, okay, I like this. You know, there was no regrets afterwards. It was like, that was really nice. <laughs> it was really nice, refreshing, you know. And, and not only that, but the people also had this, this depth to them. So it wasn't just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, we talked about real things. And there was a genuineness to these people. And that's what kept me coming back. And that's, you know, I was like, there is something different about these people. I didn't know it then, but now I know that I was seeing, I was encountering God through his people. It's the Holy Spirit that lived in his people that I was experiencing that. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I actually had an encounter with God through his people of true joy. I encountered true joy. And, and I believe that as Christians, not only just City Life, I, I believe all Christians, but especially us, 
because it's our distinctive. I believe we should be marked with joy, that this distinctive should be on all Christians' lives. And I want to talk about joy rather than just laughter and fun is because those are a result of joy. You know, I know, I know firsthand, you can laugh, you can make jokes, you can have fun, but you don't have joy. You know, you can be very empty and still laughing. But joy is something that all Christians should have, and that's what I want to look at today. So the scripture I'll be reading from is John 16, 19 to 22. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, he's speaking to his disciples, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman given, giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So Jesus is telling his disciples, when you see me, you will have joy. And no one will take it away and your joy will be complete. So I want us to look at three things we can learn about true joy. The promise of it, our problem with it, and the person of it. So the promise of joy. So in this verse, Jesus is explaining to his disciples, because Jesus spoke in parables. And his disciples afterwards would be like, Jesus, what? I don't, I don't get it. You know? Like, I don't understand. So he's like giving them the down low. And so the down low of this is he's saying he's explaining to them the time between his death and his resurrection. And I'm just going to make a side note. What's incredible is in the Bible, like Jesus is actually foretelling when he's going to die, and then that he's going to rise again. He's foretelling of these things that are going to happen that haven't happened yet. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, like, there are a lot of moments in the Bible where there is a prediction or a prophecy that's said, and then it actually happens. Happens a lot of times. Only the Lord could do that, let me tell you. But he's talking about his death and resurrection. He's saying, I am going to die, and you are going to cry. You're going to weep, but... When you see the resurrected me, you're going to rejoice. And no one can take away that joy. He's not saying, you excited people, you emotional people, you are going to rejoice. He's not saying that. He's not saying, those of you who have really nice lives, comfy, cushy lives, you're going to rejoice. Nope. And he's not saying, when you die and meet me in heaven, you're going to rejoice. He's saying, when you see me resurrected, you will rejoice. That means the rejoicing is for here and now. And Tim Keller, he had this amazing illustration. He asks the question, why is it that Jesus Christ's tomb has been lost? Why is it by 120 AD, Christians weren't even sure where the tomb was anymore? They weren't sure. And funny enough, every, almost every other prophet or founder of religion 
their tombs have been made into shrines. Like people make it a place of pilgrimage for these people to go to. So why is the tomb of Christ himself lost? And, and Tim gave this great illustration. When you have your son, your son's room and his things aren't that important. Nothing special about his clothes, nothing special about his toys when you have him. But if your son goes away, if your son moves away, if your son dies, his things suddenly become very important. The reason why the Christians lost the tomb is because they had him. They had the risen Lord. You know, real Christianity is to meet the risen Lord. It's not just the apostles who got to meet the risen Lord. Anybody who's a Christian, we don't have to go to the tomb. Well, it's lost anyway, so too bad. But, but we've got them. We've got them. You're invited into a relationship with the risen Lord. You know, Peter, Peter is talking to the church, and these are a group of people like us who have never seen the Lord, and he says this to them. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I haven't physically seen the risen Christ. Not physically, but I have met him. I have met him. And there is a joy when we encounter Christ. You know, and what's amazing is Christianity, like, we are promised that Jesus is going to come back. He's coming back. And lots of people like to put their predictions out there, but we don't know. But he's coming back one day. And he promises to wipe every tear, that there is no more death. He promises he's going to live with us. He's going to redeem the earth. And we're going to live in perfect relationship with him and each other. And it's going to be so beautiful. And we're going to have so much joy. We are. It's going to be amazing. But that's not our only promise. Our promise isn't just one day when. Our promise is now. He's saying, we, when you see me, you will rejoice. It's not optional. It's not dependent on your personality. It's not how much money you have or the trials you're facing. When you see me, you will rejoice. You will have a joy and it cannot be taken away. And even, you know, when, when doing word studies in the Bible and you look up the word joy in the Bible, there's so many, there's so many um, amazing verses on joy, but when the angel first comes to the shepherds to tell them about the, the birth of Christ, he shows up and he says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. The first miracle of Jesus, the first miracle, when he's starting his ministry, it's not healing people, it's not raising people from the dead, he made, turned water into wine. He's saying, I'm the Lord of the feast. I don't know what says joy like that. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up onto the believers, everybody else who was witnessing these people being filled with God's Spirit, the people who witnessed it, they're like, those people are drunk, right? I don't know what kind of drunk people you guys hang out with. I'm not talking about the sad kind. I'm talking about the happy kind of drunk people. You know, what do happy drunk people do? They're singing. They're dancing like nobody's watching. You know, they're... They're having a great time. They're loud. They're joyful. That is what happened to the people when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a joy. So to become a Christian, it cannot be just about believing that Christ died and rose again. Because demons believe that. Demons know 
He's the son of God. They just have no joy in it. The difference between a Christian and a demon is finding joy in Christ. So to be a true Christian means we are marked with joy. It's a promise. Christ says, when you see me, when you encounter me, the risen Lord, you will have joy. So, because there's a lot of so's in here. It's like, "Mm mm-hmm, but I got a problem. I get it. We have a problem with this. Because if joy is promised to us, if it's something we experience when we encounter Christ, if it is for now, why are some of us so depressed or so pessimistic or so cranky? Why is joy so hard? This is our problem at times, isn't it? You know, Elizabeth, when Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist in her womb and Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb, when the two women came near one another, it says that John within the womb leapt for joy. Just being around Jesus in the womb, he leapt for joy. So if anything getting around Jesus is leaping for joy, why aren't we? You know, and many times in the Bible, it says, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. You know, it's commanding. It's almost commanding this joy. But God cannot tell us to do something impossible. Like, God's not going to say two plus two is five. He can't lie. He can't make, he knows we can't force our feelings. This isn't like, we're not meant to be these, like, weird Ned Flanders people where we're like, haddly ho, neighbor, really happy today, doing great, happy day at church. It's not calling you to be fake. It's not like asking you to conjure something up. And everybody can see a fakie when they, when they meet him. You know, you know when it's not real. But he's not telling us to force our feelings. He cannot, God, the Bible cannot tell us impossible things. So, if joy is a part of the equation when you meet Christ, if this joy is so inevitable and it's not flowing through your life, we must be doing something to stop it. And I recognize that there are different seasons in our lives. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. I understand there are times to grieve. And so I'm not suggesting we're doing something wrong if we're in a season of grieving or mourning. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting that we still should have joy in that season. But it might look different. So that's why joy is so much more than laughing and fun. It's something deeper. And Christ tells us no one or no thing will take away your joy. So no season of grief can actually take it away. So we should still have it. It just looks different. And we need to ask ourselves, what am I doing to keep me from seeing what I have in Jesus? What am I so upset about that's keeping me from seeing what I have in Jesus? Or have I fully understood the gospel? Or encountered the risen Christ? Because if all the things the Bible says are true, we must be doing something. You know, and in these past couple years, I have really experienced um, a lack of joy and happiness. You know, I I really have been wrestling with it. And about a year ago, I was frustrated and obviously sad. You know, because I felt a lack of joy and happiness. But I, 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 God drew my attention to this verse, and it's Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And I realized I have been basing my joy and my happiness in my circumstances. And God is saying, true joy is found in my presence alone. He is joy. It is in his care. It is his character. So to have true joy, it's only found in the presence of God. And so if I'm searching for joy and happiness outside of God, I'm actually experiencing and clinging to an imitation joy. It might fill you for a moment, but it's not the real deal. And that's what I was experiencing. I was looking to my circumstances, what I could get, what, you know, that's what I was looking to for happiness and joy. And it was fleeting. I think of like, you know when you're so hungry and you're like, oh man, I'm so hungry, I don't want to go home and cook. Oh, maybe I'll just have a little McDonald's. Yeah, I'm going to get a Big Mac. Yeah, I'm going to get fries. I'm going to get the McChicken sauce. I'm going to dip my fries in it. It's going to be really good. That's my order. Okay, so when you're so hungry, you just go and you get that McDonald's and you stuff your face and you feel good for a minute. And then you want to poop your pants. It's just not nutritious. It's delicious, but then it becomes not and not nutritious. It's, it's an imitation food. It's not the real deal, right? But if you cook a steak dinner and you make all the fixings and you take your time in a big juicy green salad and you sit down, and eat, that's nutritious. That's going to fill your body. You're going to feel good. It's going to love you back. That's real food right there. And it's just like Jesus. Anything outside of him is imitation joy. You're getting the not the real deal. But... With Christ, he is the real deal. He is delicious and nutritious, and he loves you back. And he tells us that we find joy in his presence. You know, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his, in his joy went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Well, just like this man in the parable, he sees this treasure and he understands the value in this treasure. He's like, I'm going to sell everything. I need this field. Well, the treasure in the field. And Jesus is saying, if you understand the value of God, if you see God as beautiful as your treasure, you're going to want to sell everything you have for him. And like the man in the parable, we have to locate our greatest joy in God alone. He's got to be our beauty. He's got to be our treasure. The difference between a religious person and the Christian, both are committed to God, but the Christian is attracted to God. The Christian sees God as beautiful, and the religious person sees God as useful. You know, we hear people say, it's like, I tried the whole God thing. I tried it. I was, you know, I prayed. I did things for him, and pff, life just got harder. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get the career I wanted. didn't get the spouse I wanted. So whatever. It's not for me. The problem is, is that your career or your goals were your beauty. God was never your beauty. He was a means to an end. And so true Christianity, true Christian joy is not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we force. It's promised to us when we encounter the risen Lord. When he becomes our beauty, we find our joy not in our circumstances, but in him alone. And we will have seasons of mourning and grief. But the beautiful thing about Christian joy is it can coexist with joy. Grief and joy can coexist. 
We can still weep and mourn, but we can still have a hope and a joy in Christ. And so lastly, we're going to talk about the person of it. So in the middle of this passage, Jesus brings up this woman. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And for those of you who have had a baby or experienced childbirth, you know this is true. You know the anguish, the hours. Some of you, it's days. Oh, bless you. I'm so sorry. Oh, but... You know, agony and pain and suffering and labor, it's intense. It's intense. And I won't say any more, because I could, but I won't. It's too graphic for you. But once that baby is out, you look at this sweet little thing. And you're like, oh, my baby, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah, you still hurt down there. Your pain ain't gone. It is there. But your mind and your heart have shifted from this pain onto this precious human, right? They become your joy. And Jesus is comparing childbirth to the pain and the suffering his disciples would feel in his death. He's like, you're going to experience great joy in my resurrection. There's going to be pain, but the joy of the resurrection, the joy of having him will far outweigh the pain. But... I think there's a lot more to this verse because he uses the word, so when he says her time has come, in other versions, it's actually written her hour has come. And in the book of John, the hour, that wording the hour has, means a lot more than just the time. The hour is used, like Jesus with his first miracle with the wine, he says to his mother, woman, it is not yet my hour. I love that. Jesus. Woman. In John 12, 23, Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. The hour of Christ, what he's referring to is what he accomplished on the cross through his death and resurrection. So he's talking about something, not just her time is coming, the baby is coming. He's talking about something a little deeper, the hour. You know, and when a woman, when her hour, when her hour has come, you can't stop it. That baby's going to come out. And not going to be always where you want it to come out. But it's coming. And a woman lives those nine months sacrificially. She lets her body be used for the growth and the life of another human. And the only way for a woman to give life to a child is through her pain and her suffering. And I think this illustration of the woman in childbirth is also a depiction of what Christ's hour was going to look like. Jesus lived sacrificially for us. He came to earth for us. He lived the life we were meant to live. And in his hour, he labored through pain and suffering on the cross for us. For us to have life. For our salvation. And, his, and in his labor, he dies. Willingly. And the question is, why? If he is God and he knows all things, why on earth would he put himself through that? 
And what makes labor worth it to a woman? What does she see at the end? A precious baby. And what did Jesus get out of it? The sense of accomplishment? The admiration of the Father? No. It was us. He saw us. That's why he did it. He didn't have us. We were the one thing he didn't have. That's what made his pain and his suffering and his death worth it for him. It was you. Us. He saw us on the other side. In Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, you are the joy that was set before him. He saw us on the other side of his sacrifice. He made us his treasure. He made us his beauty. We were what excited him. He's like, oh man, I gotta do this because if I don't, I won't have them. Christ has delight in maintaining our salvation. And when we realize the whole reason for God to come to earth, the whole reason for him to suffer and lose all his joy in his hour is because he didn't have us, that he finds joy in you, that he wants you, that changes your heart. When you realize that you are God's treasure. And what's even more amazing is that you were his treasure before you even said, Lord, I believe. You were his treasure while you were, while little Melissa was getting wasty pants on whatever day it was. He said, I love you. It wasn't in my, me getting my act together. It was in your sinfulness that you were his treasure. Man, and when I realize, you know, now being a mom, when I, I think of what my mom has endured or what my parents have done for me, it makes me so thankful. You know, it just gives you a new perspective on your parents. You're like, I'm so thankful. But when we realize what Christ himself endured for us, then we treasure him. He becomes our beauty. He becomes our joy. It makes you so much more thankful. You know, would we find our joy in the Lord? That is my prayer for each and every one of us. Would we find our joy in him? Would we encounter the risen Christ? He has promised us joy when we meet him and it cannot be taken away. This joy is found in his presence alone and it can coexist with pain. And we need to ask ourselves, whenever we're lacking something, whenever we're, you know, overcome by pain, look at him. Look at who he is and what he has done for you. And know that his joy is for you. Let's stand. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much. Oh, Lord, that you delight in us. And God, whatever, you know, I, I know, I know there's people here being like, no, not me, not me. No, he doesn't love me. I'm yucky. But Lord, oh, you, oh, Father, we just, we take those lies in the name of Jesus. And we just declare that those lies would not have a hold on these people's minds. But Heavenly Father, would your truth be stronger? Would your truth penetrate through those lies? And God, would you, God, I ask that you would open up people's eyes and their hearts to who you are today.
Help them understand your gospel truth. Help them to understand who you are and what you've done. And I even want to give us an opportunity. You know, if, if you're here and you're like, I want to respond to this love. I want to, I want to respond to Jesus. I want to, I'm, I'm saying I want to follow him. I want to encounter him. Then I actually, I'm going to, we're going to put our hands up. We're going to do an old school. I'm, this is me. I am saying yes to the Lord. And so, and we're going to all pray together as a church. But I just want to encourage you, if you are saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I have want to encounter the risen Lord. Then I encourage you right now to put up your hand. Put up your hand. Just be bold about it. God is so good. And he is the only one that matters. Oh, God, and we thank you. If there's somebody beside you, put your hand on them. We, we are a family. We pray together. And God, our prayer is, and you can repeat after me, thank you, Jesus, for your love for me. In my sin and my shame, you called me beautiful. You gave up your life so I could have a life. I say yes to you, Jesus. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my joy? Would I have an encounter with you daily? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, and I just wanna pray, I just wanna pray um, for all of us who, who we have encountered the risen Lord, but we are having a joyless season. We are having a, a hard time with joy. So would you just put your hand over your heart? Yeah, God, thank you, Father, that, God, you see every situation. God, you see every heart and every mind. God, you know the reason for our pain or our joylessness. And God, you're not mad at us. But Lord, you have given us a promise of true joy. And so, God, I know there are many circumstances in this place, and I thank you, God, that you know each and every one. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, God, would you turn people's eyes to who you are and what they have in you, Jesus. And God, the things that are vying for their attention, the things that are overwhelming their minds, the joylessness, in Jesus' mighty name, I just declare that that does not have a hold on their lives. But Heavenly Father, you have promised us joy, and so we cling to that. Thank you, Father. Would we find times to be in your presence? God, would we fight to be presence people? Would be, we fight for you and you alone, Jesus? Would the things of this world not have our heart? But would you be our beauty? Would you be our everything? Would we be like this man who sold everything he had for this treasure? God, help us to see the value in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.